Welcome to your spiritual broadcast with David Goddard. This podcast is about everything occult, alchemy, Kabbalah, angelic magic, ritual, and so much more. Join David Goddard and Benjamin Phillips as we explore the world of true spiritual living, dedicated to a better world. David is a spiritual teacher and author. He teaches worldwide and is the spiritual director of the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Here's David Goddard and me, Benjamin Phillips, with your spiritual broadcast. Hello, David. How are you? I'm very well, Benjamin. And how are you on this glorious day? Excellent. Thank you very much. Another interesting, I think, very interesting, um, your spiritual broadcast. So today's show is about someone called W.E. Butler or Father Ernest. Um, I've heard you often speak about W.E. Butler and say that he's one of your very favorite teachers. Um, so I guess most people will probably know him from his classic book, The Magician, His Training and Work. And I'm wondering if we can probably begin, as we've done with previous uh, well-known esoteric figures, is to begin s- sort of where he started out. What's what's his background? Let to give our listeners an idea of where this person sort of began and what got him into the into the whole experience of spiritual uh, study. Well, in a sense, it's a kind of follow-on from the one we did on Paul Foster Case. Yes. Though for me, W. Butler is much closer to home. He was British for a start. Um, and as you'll come later, I had you know, connections to his work. And um, I call him Father Ernest for reasons that will become clear in a moment. He was born in 1898 in Yorkshire, North England. Mm-hmm. Um, even when he was a grown adult, he wasn't very tall. Um, and he had a rather similarity to a hobbit, except his feet weren't so big. And like many northerners here in Britain, he had the ability of um, being straight to the point. We we say here he called a spade a spade. Right. Um, or one of his famous sayings of criticism for many so-called occult and spiritual groups was, jam tomorrow, jam tomorrow, never jam today. Meaning they would talk about all this highfalutin teaching, mm. but it never came down to practical stuff you could spread on your you could experience for yourself. Got it. And um, so that made him a delightful teacher because you knew you were getting pith teachings straight to the core. But this is before we haven't got to that yet. Mm. He did admit to carrying out his first magic experiment at about the age of 10. He'd found a, probably in the library, some old medieval magic book, Quimwell spell, that claimed to summon spirits. And near where he lived, there was an ancient mound. These earth mounds were often built for the tombs of old chieftains in Celtic times and Neolithic times. So he decided he'd go there and give it a go. (laughs) Well, of course, um, some people know the term mound whites. Basically, in some of these practices, bear in mind they were very old, somebody would either volunteer, or even they didn't volunteer, they were sacrificed, and their their soul was bound to the site. 
and they became guardians of the site. They're usually quite bad-tempered too, as you would be if you'd had your evolution arrested for 3,000 years. Mm, exactly. Um, in fact, some of the early, early temples did the same thing at their consecration. One or more people were kind of hmm. killed and buried alive wow. or sacrificed to make guardianships. For all of these things, there are very good reasons why not to play around with ancient sites unless you really know what you're doing. I think so. Um, and anyway, he worked his little spell. Mist came down. He was suddenly thrown off the mound of great force. And it kind of gave him a conviction that there might be something to this. <laughs> so there we are. Anyway, um, he grew. He was in the First World War. He fought with distinction hmm. um, and was commended as a hero. Um, but he was always, after that, very clear on the, um, the negativities that reside in the human complex and the importance of... Um, uh, strengthening the light so that such a terrible thing would never happen again. Um, his first teacher in this kind of work was a man called Robert King, Bishop Robert King, because he belonged to the Liberal Catholic Church, which was an independent sacramental church with some esoteric um, knowledge. And King himself was a formidable exorcist. And it was under Bishop King that Ernest learnt astral projection in particular. He was a formidable projection. And exorcism. He was always, poor thing, having to wade in to get people out of the trouble they'd mainly got themselves into through passive psychism and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he later on joined the Theosophical Society, which was no great leap because King, too, belonged to the, the Theosophical Society. Oh, I should mention Bishop King was also an astrologer. Right. Um, anyway, the headquarters of the Theosophical Society, as it still is, in is... Oh, dear. Of course, they've changed all the names of the Indian cities now, haven't they? Um, well, it was near what was called... what used to be called Madras and... Indian viewers will have to forgive me. I don't know what the new name is for that city. But that's where the international headquarters were. And the international president at the time was a woman called Annie Bezant, who succeeded Madame Blavatsky. And Ernest went there and asked her if she would become his teacher, you know, and right. take him further in the mysteries. <clears throat> and she said no she wasn't the one for him, that he would meet somebody, it would also be a woman, she would be carrying roses, and that would be his, his major teacher in the future. I should mention, though, that while he was in India, he had, he learnt from some of the Indian yogis in the areas of Kundalini Yoga, which is the eastern form of alchemy. Mm -hmm. And um, this was in the Bengal area. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that some of the yogis, particularly in the Bengal region, were very anti-European. Understandable when you consider that they were, you know, under the 
uh, heel of the British Empire and the Raj for so long. And when it became fashionable through the Theosophical Society to like all things Indian and to use words like chakras and all that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. they often would distort the practices when they gave them to Westerners to cause trouble. Oh, wow. And Ernest, um, as a consequence of that, um, uh, later in life, uh, had to have one leg amputated and um, actually died shortly afterwards. Um, And he said it was due to the erroneous practices Hmm. he'd been given, which is why he was so on the ball about how to stay safe in these practices and and that's where I get it from, really. Mm. And and also, I can talk more more personally about it because before I met any of my physical mentors and teachers, I picked up a book on yoga that was in print, and it was dealing with the um, the pranayama, the the subtle currents of Ida Pingala in the nostrils. Yeah, you know this from your own yogic practice, Benjamin. And um, But in the book, they were switched over mm. so that what should be the lunar breath, I was told, was the solar breath. Ugh. And for eight years, I suffered from chronic sinusitis from having inflamed that entire channel. Hmm. Much easier to learn the right way than to later on having to correct and it. And do, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, by then it's already in the subconscious mind, etc. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Ernest did suffer as a result of that. Anyway, he came back to the UK um, by the, he, uh, during which point he became ordained as a priest in the Liberal Catholic Church, which is why I call him Father Ernest, because that was his term. And in 1925 he met Dion Fortune. He was... It, walking through Glastonbury, remember we were there about this time last year, and at the foot of the hill used to be one of the one of the um, centres of Dion Fortune's organisation. Right. And um, she was cutting roses in the garden. Hmm. Funny. And they started to talk and they recognised each other. And so um, she became his teacher... And he was initiated into the mysteries through the Society of the Inner Light, which was oh. still unfortunate school. Can I stop you just there for a second? Sure. That, uh, you, you make a very interesting statement there. You say Butler was initiated through the Society of the Inner Light. I mean, um, why did you say it in that specific way? I mean, because usually initiation is you just initiated into something. It is a deliberate choice of words. Right. There are two forms of initiation. There are what we call formal initiations. Formal initiations are really when you go through, usually a ceremony, to become part of a group mind. Okay. And in this you can include Freemasonry, Boy Scouts, Wicca, even, even the church. Right. After all, it's no good going to the Vatican and saying, I was a cardinal in a past life, can I have my job back, please? Mm, tough you, one. That, no. that won't get you very far. No, no. Light the fires. Yeah. Um, so, all that kind of thing. So, then we talk about initiation into the mysteries. And so that's held to be forever. 
And so, um, in other words, we say, let's say we're talking about the society of the inner light as an earnest case. It means that, first and foremost, what distinguishes an initiate from another person is that they have made a dedication, and most importantly, the dedication's been accepted, Mm. which is to place the divine will before their own personal will. Um, and so this dedication isn't made to a organization like Freemasonry or whatever. It's okay. not made to any incarnate teacher. It's not even made to any inner plane adept. So you'd be surprised the number of people who think that is the case. Hmm. It's made to the divine itself directly. So we say that somebody was initiated through a particular mystery school. Uh, okay. The school acted as the trampoline right. to get them up. Right, 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 right. Okay. So Thanks, that's helpful. You know, I think that clears up a lot of misconceptions that I think you and I see um, come to us through email and sort of conversations that we have, that you, I know that you've had with people as well that we that we sort of – discuss as it comes about but anyhow please continue um mm, so w. Well, Beth Butler may, huh? say again i hope that does help clear it up for some people <laughs> let's hope yes mm -hmm. right uh yes yeah, so as i was saying um father ernest then met dion fortune and was trained in her lodges and um he was the only initiate who she ever allowed to set up a second lodge outside of the London Lodge. Hmm. And this is because he already had his contact with his master and Dion Fortune recognised it as being valid and functioning. Right. Whereas most people coming in wouldn't be at that stage and it would be during their training in the school that they would pick up hmm. their contacts. So he um, uh, used to do that. Shortly after the unfortunate's death, W. Butler left the society in the light. That's because she hadn't trained a successor, and the guy who took over was... Um, actually, he was a Knight of Malta, which is one of the big Roman Catholic chivalric orders. And he went kind of anti-ritual magic. He uh, abolished the grade system and got into all kinds of more, one would say, psychotherapy things. And anyway, Ernest, as we say, voted with his feet. Right. He left. He left. Yeah. Um, though, to be fair to all heads of schools, there's usually a vote with feet when a new person takes over. Fair enough. It doesn't always mean they're bad. In this case, in my opinion, the successor was a bad choice. But anyway, he probably did the best in you. Um, there's always there was also at this time World War Two, hmm. and why I mention this is because this is one of the one of the things Ernest was proud of more than anything else was that during the Second World War he was too old then to go up as he had in the First World War. Right, and of course there were a lot of refugee Jewish children coming across from Europe. And um, there was always a problem finding places that they could stay. Mm. 
And uh, Ernest lived most of his life in Southampton, which is down on the coast. Yes. And there was a very, very small Jewish community there. But, you know, one of Ernest's books was, of course, um, Magic in Kabbalah. And, of course, he knew his Kabbalah. He was a Kabbalist. After all, he was a Christian Kabbalist. Right. And um, so he was very pleased when they asked him and his wife, um, who he nicknamed Mrs. Bear. <laughs> I dread to think where that came from. Because they cuddled each other like a teddy bear. For really, right. some people. <laughs> So anyway, what they liked was the fact that um, they knew that Ernest knew enough to observe all of the kosher dietary, uh, mm-hmm. which is a mission and a half when oh, you realise it means two sets of cooking utensils. Well, if, if, especially if you're not used to it. I think that's, that's absolutely, mm. And also in those days, quite expensive. Sure. Anyway, he did it and he was really proud of that. Anyway, in 1962, he met up with... Gareth Knight, the famous Mm -hmm. author, Mm -hmm. who was also from Inner Light. Gareth, to use his nom de plume, had been using, um, set up a correspondence course called the Helios. And this is because after certain books, mainly Dion Fortunes, but some others too, as well regarding some of the others, Mm -hmm. there was a growing interest in esoteric occultism and Kabbalah was in the forefront and so he decided to do a correspondence course on Kabbalah. At the time, he and a colleague were running a small little book business called Helios Books in, in the village of Glastonbury. Ah, OK. And he asked um, Father Ernest to come on board to help with the lessons. Right. Well, for reasons that go beyond the needs of this podcast... Um, Gareth only did the first six lessons and then um, uh, W. Butler then takes it over mm. and he he um, starts to do it. And it's at this time, because Gareth had also left the inner light at a certain ah, point, okay. <laughs> at this particular point, they both rejoined. Now, I have to say this goes on into strange, strange things because later on, W. Butler left again and then Gareth left again and then... About 12 years ago, Gareth rejoined when they asked him to come back to teach them how oh, to do magic me. because they'd forgotten how to do magic. And anyway, <laughs> it goes on and on and on. So um, anyway, so uh, W. Butler has now taken over the Helios course in Practical Kabbalah. It had gained popularity. And so Ernest uh, changed the name to Servants of the Light, of which he was the first director of studies. Now, this is an important point because there's a lot of misunderstanding about magical history on this point. You have to understand that Ernest came from the Society of the Inner Light by Dion Fortune. Mm. In the hierarchy of that school, you have the three who rule. So these were like the three chiefs in Golden Dawn talk. Right. So, so the earth plane head was the warden. The, the, the next one was the deputy warden. Mm-hmm. And the third one was the ceremoniarius. Mm-hmm. Then there were two lower down who represented the the body of the school to the three who rule. 
So one was elected by all the junior degrees for a year or two to represent them at the meetings of this thing. And the other one was the deputy, was the director of studies who administered the correspondence course with those people who weren't yet even members. Right. So you, what I'm trying to say is, by the choice of taking on the title director of studies, Ernest is declaring quite clearly that this course he was doing was a correspondence course only. Mm -hmm. Because then, once it started to roll, he then did create a contacted mystery school called the Ibis Fraternity. Right. Which did have initiation through into the mysteries. Mm. So, in other words, if you had done the Inner Light course and he thought you'd done well... And obviously, if you got approval from upstairs, you would be initiated into the Western Mysteries through the Ibis fraternity. Okay. I'm just saying this because shortly after his death, the person, the woman who had been made director of studies of Servants of Light, got a bad case of hubris and broke away from the Ibis fraternity. Hmm. And has now you know, try to encourage with pretensions of grandeur that the SOL was set up by him to be a mystery school, whereas in fact it wasn't. And really the only problem was that a poor old Ibis fraternity then had to turn around and create a whole new correspondence course all, all over. Hmm. But the fact that Ernest was using the title Director Studies and not Warden shows his intention quite clearly. Hmm. Also, by the way, the person who became Director of Studies of... Um, the Servants of Light, was only a first degree in Dion Fortune School and only attended eight lodge meetings. It was really just replicating off on a Xerox mm. and sending them out across the world. That's all the job entailed, really. Mm. Anyway, more, more importantly, it's um, Ernest's legacy of some of the best practical books in magic and psychism in the English language. And all who knew him were touched by his spirituality, devotion and kindness. He was a great priest and mage, a true theogist, a mm. true work of the magic of light. Your spiritual broadcast is sponsored by the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Why not sign up for David Goddard's Letters to Your Spirit? It's free, and once a week, you get a spiritually inspiring message to help you on your path of spiritual discovery. Letters to Your Spirit has many giveaways, free programs, and online workshops that is only shared with Rising Phoenix Foundation community members. Go to rpxf.org and sign up today. Okay. I think that gives, well, I mean, I didn't know quite a number of these things that you've just discussed. So that's, I mean, a very interesting insight into seeing, you know, where he, what he kept himself busy with and, and just sort of his activity. So mm -hmm. um, he's he was also quite prolific, I'd say, as a, as an author, or at least a lot of his work got turned into published work. I mean... I know that you quite like them. I mean, what about W. E. Butler's work stands out for you? Well, 
He's not as prolific now as Gareth Knight. Oh, sure. And some more recent, you know, um, Mm -hmm. authors. But what was interesting, I think, about him was he was very daring Mm. and imaginative. So, of course, we've mentioned the famous books, so let's just deal with the, the big books, you could say, first. So that was The Magician, His Training and Work, which yes. we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lesser-known book, though, called Apprenticed to Magic, which is really where he's taking his own letters to a student who he's mentoring. Okay. And, you know, yeah. um, and that's very good because he deals with exercises and hmm. tips and meditation and that kind of thing. Right. Um, he did a good book called Magic and the Kabbalah, which, again, is not so well-known. And even less known is magic, its ritual power and purpose. Some people think that if you read The Magician is Training His Work, you don't need to bother with magic, its ritual power and purpose. Personally, I disagree. Hmm. I think together they give a much wholer picture. Okay. But he was approached by a uh, publisher called Aquarian Press. And in their time, they were leading the way in occult, paranormal, then what later on became called New Ageism. You know, and they would, in Britain, they were doing all the books. Right. And they obviously approached him about this subject. Mm. And you would have thought that having been asked to do it or hearing the suggestion he would have run a mile. I would have. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Fair enough. But the only reason I do what I do now is because he did it first, and, and so now I feel, well, I can get away with, okay it. with it. Still okay with it. And so they were these tiny, thin little books mm. with these dreadful, who who not who done it, how to do it, titles, how to read the aura, how mm. to develop clairvoyance, how to develop psychometry, and and the rarest of the lot, because for some reason it didn't take in the same way, though it's a a brilliant book, how to develop telepathy. Hmm. And there were these tiny, thin books, and this is where Ernest comes into his true brilliance, because one is he could then give people jam now, you know, not tomorrow. So because he was so developed... I mean, for example, in the Inner Light in Lodge, he held the Western throne for years. Hmm. People used to think the Western throne was basically the best people to go in that particular thing was a woman. Because in those days, there was this mistaken thought that women were more psychic than men. Okay. And we may want to look at that. It's got nothing to do with gender yes. and genitals. It has everything to do with lifestyle. Ah. Um, but anyway... Uh, but Ernest held the Western throne for years and years because there was nobody else to hold a, hold a candle to. Hmm. Interesting. So he gives really um, authentic exercises that deliver the goods, but he also manages, without being preachy or pious, to give the good moral moral stance you need to have to not get into trouble with developing these extrasensory powers that could give you unfair advantage over others. Oh, that's interesting. And there, there's some lovely little points in it and things, and some, some, some pieces of throwaway teaching that, you know, 
when you know what he's talking about, you kind of faint on the spot, you know. Hmm. Um, so they're absolutely brilliant, these. Uh, there isn't a, they have now been published all in one volume. Oh, brilliant. So it's called How to Develop the Aura, Clairvoyance, Psychometry and Telepathy. How creative. <laughs> but I think, I think it's an old American edition, but that's certainly the form I have it in. Uh, because they were tiny, thin little things, no more than like 40 wow. pages, 50 pages. You can read them in an afternoon. Oh, brilliant. But do you, very good. Have you, have you seen those old ones before? I mean, have you actually oh, seen them? Yes, yes. yeah, oh, brilliant. yes. Oh, yeah. Loved oh, yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, they were really pocketbooks. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. You could fit them in your pocket. And then also, again, a very, very good book. This was um, put together... Shortly before his death, mm -hmm. he gave a series of weekend teachings, mainly questions and answers. He'd stepped away from Servants of the Light, so he was now giving his final teachings to the Ibis fraternity, because that was the initiated body. Mm. Um, and a lot of it was he would give a theme and then questions and answers. It's a very, it's one, it's a masterpiece in its own right. And he he um, had his call to light. He passed from the earth face shortly after that. And that book is called now um, Lords of Light. Lords of Light, subtitled um, Path of Initiation in the Western Mysteries. Okay. Which goes to the Ibis fraternity. And in fact, I may give it. I may kind of give it as a endorsement or a book review in a future issue of Benu Gazette hmm. to help people. Get, because it, it's just brilliant, the way it goes through the stages of training mm -hmm. and the fact that there's questions coming from people. You hear, like, him addressing various kind of issues and things. It's very, very good. Right. And then some of it's quite witchy, too. Like, when he starts on Kundalini, he, he talk, calls it the fire down below or... <laughs> That kind of thing, and he often says, you know, uh, you can hear him say it as he catches himself and says, "Oh, I'm always talking about things they say you're not supposed to, but I've started now, so I'll carry on." <laughs> and he'll talk about things like, you know, he'll talk about, you know, the hierarchy, you know, directly in a way that's just never spoken about, mm. apart from interesting, it's apart from in silly thing if you're a Mount Shasta and you know you're playing around with an etheric purple pyramid, that kind of. Inane rubbish, mm. but um, he talks about the real deal and how you can tell and what it's for. And oh, brilliant, yeah, yeah. worth and reading, obviously. Oh, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a, a book you want to go back to lots and lots of times. Wonderful. Mm. So, I know and I've heard you refer to Father Ernest as being in your lineage, so would that then mean that he taught you? Um, no, I never met him physically. Right. <laughs> as I should explain. <laughs> um, because, as you know, at one point, I, I too was in the liberal Catholic Church, and I was there I received succession of via, you know, Bishop Robert King. Mm. Um, and then I was mentored by a woman called Olive, um, who was Father Ernest's heart daughter. They'd known each other back at the Temple of Horus at Edfu in ancient Egypt. 
And she was a, an amazing woman. Um, she was awarded a, med, a medal because the Battle of Monte Cassino, which was one of the fiercest battles in the Second World War hmm. in Italy at the foot of the mountain, she was the matron who looked after all the nursing staff for all the huge amount of casualties. Hmm. Wow. So that ever after, on what we call here Florence Nightingale Day... You know, the founder of the mm. nursing thing, mm-hmm. which is always held in Westminster Abbey, she would be given a seat up by the high altar because she mm. was held in so much respect. Um, but she was his heart daughter. Right. He asked her at one point if she would take over, um, if she would take over being director studies for Sermons of Elijah. Oh, no, I'm far too busy. She said, there's that little woman on the island. She's a housewife. She's got nothing better to do. She can do it. <laughs> I mean, that was Olive. She was as forthright. Exactly, I was about to as, say. As, as Ernest was. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that. And then um, my uh, uh, Adeptus grade, my 5-6, I also received you know, via the IBIS fraternity hmm. from one of their initiators. So you could say I got it on all three counts, you know, in hmm. a certain sense. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Okay, that's thanks. the connection. Great. Um Thank you very much. I mean, I think thanks for sharing your insights about Father Ernest. Uh, I mean, I've learned a whole bunch of things I'd never known about him. Um, and as some of your own peoples have, have attested to me as well, I mean, I know that Father Ernest is very close to your work. Oh, yes. Personally, I owe him an incalculable debt. And I know that Ernest Butler has been an inspiration to many, many May his name and memory be a blessing. Amen. Great. Thanks. Amen. So that leads us to the end of your spiritual broadcast. David, thank you very much for your time. This was your spiritual broadcast with David Goddard and Benjamin Phillips talking about W.E. Butler. Um, Before I close up, actually, David, maybe... I know that this is now on the cards. You are apparently scheduled to do a series of teachings on Turtle Island in the USA. Do you want to maybe give us an idea of sort of the tentative subjects and and ideas that you guys will be talking about? Um, I haven't got the exact dates in front of me, but I know it's the last half of October. I think I arrive something like the 14th, but I won't kick off until the 20th or something. But, you know, more details will appear in the free letter to your spirits that come out every week. Yeah, the weekly emails. Um, Yeah, the emails, sorry. And so um, there's there's an overall teaching that's called The Grail Quest in Turtle Island, and that's about drawing together all the magical threads and currents that have inspired and been with the, all the people who now live in the United States. You know, so there's the Native American, obviously. There's the Hispanic mysticism. Mm. There's the Northern European bringing Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism. And the idea here is is to drop the shadows of those particular things mm. and to weave them together like a beautiful coloured tapestry right. for the manifestation of the Grail, which is another way of saying the Divine Presence. And then there would be some standalone workshops, for example, the Magical Sisterhoods, mm. the Retinue Shekinah. They've asked for that one specifically. And then also some of the empowerments, you know, Empowerment of Holy Garden Angels, etc. So there'd be little 
one day things and but quite a variety things. of subjects, quite a variety. Yeah, of things. the Grail, the Grail Crest one's really quite daring because it weaves together very various techniques. So mm. there will obviously be verbal teaching, but there will also and meditation, but there will also be ritual, sacred dance and chanting. Mm. Some of it's taking place out of doors because it works oh, nice. really well in Arizona. Ah. Um, storytelling by firelight and mm. that kind of mm. thing. It's really quite a experiential thing excellent I'm, I'm really pleased about the idea great and and obviously people will also have the opportunity to consult with you privately during this trip oh yes yes okay yes uh, we put some time away though people better get their names in fast because they yeah. fill quite fast yeah okay that, and that's if people that's if people either want some uh, a private session or some private teaching mm. Or they have a problem that mm. they you know want a one-on-one consultation about. That's okay. what that's for. And as you mentioned, this is taking place in Phoenix, Arizona, in the USA. So, mm-hmm. for any listener who's who can get themselves there, definitely um, get onto the free weekly e-newsletter called Letters to Your Spirit. All the details will get published in there. Um, the contact information of the the organizer will be there, and um, I think it's going to be – I've seen sort of what you guys have talked about tentatively. I think it's going to be an incredible trip. So, And I think anybody who can get themselves out to Phoenix will definitely find it very valuable to spend that time with you in session and learning just all the great things that there is to learn. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a wonderful, magical time. Great, great. That's my prayer. There we go. That's what it's all about. So, David, again, thanks for your time. I know that with this trip coming up and a whole bunch of other things happening, you are incredibly busy. Um, I know that you're working on revising certain publications as we speak and the the Benu Gazette as as it is now the the premium spiritual publication, essentially, of the Rising Phoenix Foundation. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you taking time from your schedule to do this. So that's partly to our listeners the reason why – uh, your spiritual broadcast shows are a little bit less frequent, but um, we are trying to get to them as much as we can. Oh, we did have technical problems too. True, so. but nonetheless, um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to your spiritual broadcast. Um, do sign up through iTunes or Stitcher. You can subscribe and get notified as soon as a new show becomes available. Uh, there's also the website where we will put links to books mentioned during the show so you can get those through amazon or wherever they are available you can send questions to us the email address is questions at your spiritual broadcast.com and the website is your spiritual broadcast.com all one word and again david thank you very much have a lovely day thank you very much benjamin it's goodbye for me and it's goodbye from him <laughs> <laughs>